On October 12th, the state's Public Service Commission dealt a significant blow to New York's effort to realize short-term green energy goals as it nixed a request for billions of additional dollars requested by the developers of large-scale wind and solar projects who've argued that increased costs, since they initially pitched their plans, make the proposals no longer viable, and now the private companies need to decide whether to forego millions of dollars in security payments or try to make the original deals work. To discuss the regulatory decision, including how it was reached and what the fallout could be, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Rory Christian, Chair and CEO of the Public Service Commission. Welcome back to the show, Chairman. Thank you, David. Good to be here as usual. How are you? I'm good. I got a full night's rest. Blessed are you. (laughs) (laughs) Blessed are the childrenless. So let's start with the basics. Uh, As it pertains to four proposed offshore wind projects and uh, 86 land-based renewable energy projects, what was the PSC asked to do this summer? So uh, we received several petitions, um, as you mentioned, four uh, uh, four in total uh, from the offshore wind developers and uh, ACE New York submitted a petition applicable to the land-based developers, the 80 or so projects you mentioned, uh, all of whom cited the well-known issues that we've all faced, uh, inflationary pressures, rising interest rates, uh, delays in permitting, um, and a variety of other factors affecting their supply chains throughout. And uh, all of these factors come together, and the arguments were that ultimately uh, the projects, as they were bid, were no longer economically viable. Um, now, in looking at this, uh, you know, ultimately, these vendors already received awards. Uh, these contracts, when they were issued, did not include any inflation adjustments uh, provisions. Um, our new contracts do include inflation adjustment provisions. And uh, the argument was we should modify the older contracts to incorporate uh, the new provisions that were already being provided for new awardees. Uh, but in looking at this, you know, we, we have to weigh the request with our overall goal. And, you know, as discussed in session, ultimately, when you look at the numbers, what these petitioners were asking for was an extra 100 plus percent above what they had originally bid. And, you know, looking at the challenge ahead, we we looked at our goals. We looked at the 70% renewable energy by 2030 target, the 100% emissions-free grid by 2040, uh, the economy-wide emissions reductions, 85% by 2050. And, you know, these are our guide stars. They're enshrined in law. They're more than just objectives. And so the question we asked ourselves, what action can we take that will allow us to achieve these goals? Will providing this relief allow us and guarantee us to hit the goals? Um, and in looking at the requests, uh, you know, it's it's important to recognize, though these are a significant portion of what we are looking to invest in, they are not the end all be all. Um, They represent a portion of the overall portfolio and providing over 100% of a price increase to ratepayers. Ultimately, when you look at it from the perspective of how are we approaching our our goals, um, that runs against the competitive procurement process we've long had in place. And there's a reason we've had this process in place. It's, It's served us very well uh, for many, many years. And uh, to illustrate the point, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the Vogel power plant in Georgia. So the Vogel plant, memory serves, I think this plant first was conceived in the 1970s and, and it's owned by the uh, utility in Georgia, uh, vertically integrated uh, utility in Georgia, it was conceived in the 1970s. 
original budget was $660 million for two units that went online in the late 80s. By the time those units came online, the cost was $8.9 billion. That's right, with a B. Um, this is an extreme example of the cost overruns uh, that power plant construction was facing in the 1970s and 80s. And one of the prime drivers behind actions taken by New York State to deregulate its electric markets, basically separate the utilities as we knew them then from power providers to utilities as we know them today, where they deliver uh, the electricity and they own the meters and the wires and the pipes and so on. Uh, so in doing that, the goal was to remove the risk from ratepayers. Going from less than a billion dollars to close to 10 billion, that's a significant increase. That's a significant amount of risk. And we here in New York, through deregulation, took the position that we wanted competitive markets to bear the risk. We wanted the developers to bear the risk of price overruns, not ratepayers. And that has helped ratepayers a great deal. And if we were to move forward with this petition, in many ways, we would be going back on decades of commission precedent and ultimately setting up a new paradigm, which would not be sustainable for achieving our broader goals. And you know, the, the question I've posed in looking at this, would we guarantee getting these projects if we provided this relief? And the developers themselves could not confirm and place that guarantee. So even if we were in a position to provide the relief requested, there's no guarantee we'd actually get the projects that they'd already committed to at significantly lower prices. So when looking at all the considerations, and there, there are many more, I could go on all day, um, ultimately the, the prime one that came to mind, looking at the competitive process, understanding how it protects ratepayers, that was the main consideration in making the choice that we made. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there, but before we do that, let me reintroduce you for listeners. Uh, we're speaking with Rory Christian, Chair and CEO of the Public Service Commission. So let's talk about the state's statutory goals in terms of utilization of renewable energy uh, by 2030. That's 70% uh, coming from renewable energy for our electricity by 2030. When you were thinking about that goal, and this request, how did you balance the two? I mean, did it take a backseat to that competitive process and the potential for more companies asking for more money? Or was this the most pressing concern that you were weighing? Can you talk about assessing that language that's in state law? So the state law requires that we achieve grid powered 70% renewable energy by 2030. That's baked in. That's our target. Again, that's our guide star in all the actions that we take. Um, as I've said before, and I'll, I'll likely be saying this a lot more, um, these projects represent a portion of the overall portfolio. It's in addition to building out renewable energy, I think one side of the equation that people often forget, energy efficiency is also a big part of this. And we're making significant investments there as well, not only to lower the amount of energy that we need from existing uses, but also to better manage that energy for the grid of the future as we get there. These are things that we're doing through demand response programs. Uh, you're probably familiar with one a number of service providers who will uh, provide you uh, incentives for curtailing energy at certain times of the day. All of these things are beginning 
to uh, become available at increasing levels to more and more customers in New York State. And that's also a big part of our goals, managing the energy that's ultimately being used in addition to making sure that energy is renewable. Uh, so when we looked towards the future, towards where we're going and, and where these represent, you know, we, we, we understood that, again, this is one part of a broader portfolio. Uh, and we have other procurement opportunities coming down the pipe. Um, and if I remember correctly, I believe NYSERDA should be making some awards in the not too distant future. Some overdue awards. Some overdue awards. And so, again, we're in a position where, you know, this is not a, a, a single uh, point of failure. This is one of many components to a broader plan. Um, and we have other options. And again, as of today, I've not received any confirmation that these developers have withdrawn. I'm hopeful they will continue to move forward. You know, we stand by our commitments. We signed a contract and um, we're hopeful that they will move forward as scheduled and as planned uh, because we are as committed to these projects succeeding and, and completing as they are. And uh, that's what we need to see happen. What is the timeline for potentially that worst case scenario from the PSC's decision of those companies deciding to pull the plug on their projects? Worst case scenario, that that's it's a hard scenario to, to talk through, but I would say we should know imminently within less than a month, I would hope. Um, I forget the exact timeline we had uh, talked through, but uh, once we know what their disposition is, once we have that uh, firmly in place, uh, we can plan out our next steps quickly. We can move forward with additional procurements. Uh, we can move forward with leveraging uh, additional federal dollars and federal support. We can uh, enhance our investments in the supply chain needs. There are lots of things we can do. Um, but right now, we're moving apace as we've planned. We have uh, awards that we will be making in short order, and we have procurements that will be following suit uh, to make up for any losses uh, from contractors that uh, are unable to move forward. Did you get any meaningful input from NYSERDA on how to uh, evaluate the requests for additional funds or any recommendations from them on what you should do? Well, we received a lot of comments, and uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to need a new pair of glasses at some point before the end of the year, having read them. Um, NYSERDA was definitely one of the commenters, and they you know, provided uh, insight and feedback and their thoughts into um, you know, the veracity of the arguments made by the petitioners, um, the directions that they felt we could take. Uh, ultimately, you know, it's an open process and uh, we reviewed all of the feedback received in ultimately coming to the decision that we made. Was there any consideration to giving the developers some of what they wanted or a piecemeal increase compared to what they were asking for? Well, in, in looking at the petitions, again, the, the goal was to answer explicitly what their request was. And again, um, I won't go into the details of the specific ask. There's lots of nuances between petitioner A, B, C, and then the, the ACE petition. Each of them had their own uh, formula. Uh, but at the end of the day, we looked at the relief to provide in the context of what they were asking for. Um, and again, going through the comment process and, and getting the feedback to route, it became very clear um, that even if we provided the full relief, many of the projects would not move forward. So the question of partial relief didn't really materialize as a logical path forward, given that already claimed positioning um, that it was all or nothing from many of developers' perspective. 
And after a quick break, we'll have more with Public Service Commission Chairman and CEO Rory Christian. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. For listeners just joining us, you're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with Rory Christian, chair and CEO of the state's Public Service Commission, which recently nixed a request for billions of additional dollars from developers of large-scale wind and solar projects, leading these private companies now to decide whether to forego millions of dollars in security payments or try to make the original deals work. The renewable energy projects impacted by the PSC's decision are not being Uh, done in a vacuum. So how did you consider what it would mean for, say, connected projects by these developers who have made, say, commitments to support offshore wind ports and supply chain investments in the Empire State? The commission, in taking its action, we have to look at a lot of different considerations. And our primary consideration is the ratepayers. How will they be impacted by decisions that we make? What precedents will we be setting in these decisions and how will that ultimately affect our ability to take further action down the line? Ultimately, taking action in favor of these projects would create a situation that would erode our ability to do future contracts down the line. Imagine a scenario, um, you walk into a store to buy an item, you put a dollar down, you think it's a dollar and the proprietor tells you, well, actually, no, it's two. What do you do? You either bite the bullet and pay in that instant, or you go to another store. In this instance, it's a decision you can make if it's your money, but we're doing this with the ratepayers. We're doing this with precedent and other actions that we're taking, and we have to take all of that into consideration. Um, So that's the primary consideration in terms of the thinking behind the decision that we made. If we were to set this precedent, would we be ultimately putting ourselves in a position to continue to break what had been decades of commission precedent in the past. And I think that's an affirmative in that instance. And we did not want to put our ratepayers in a position of having to pay the costs of uh, significant overruns and projects time and time again. Um, Once you open the piggy bank, it's hard to close it. Um, And the justifications become harder and harder each time. Now, in terms of the additional projects down the line, again, those are the commitments these developers made. Uh, We, again, want them to move forward with those projects. We want them to continue with their development. Uh, But the choice as to whether or not to back off or not, that's not a commission consideration. That's for the developers to decide. You've mentioned this idea of looking out for the rate payers. So how do you reconcile the PSC's rejection of cost increases for new renewable energy projects, uh, which would have been paid for by ratepayers, while at the same time approving basically higher energy bills for ratepayers uh, from their traditional utilities? So let's look at the timeline for both of those. So you're probably talking about the NYSEG RGE rate case that we approved in the same session. That and past decisions as well, yeah. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, a typical rate case is 11 months, uh, sometimes longer. And that's 11 months of active deliberation. There's a stakeholder process. Uh, It's a very structured, well-practiced process through which we arrive at a decision. 
Um, some view it as a negotiation. Some view it as an ultimately settlement. Uh, or however, view it, ultimately, a lot of people are involved in 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 and spend a lot of time digging into the financials of the utilities. We we look at everything from the number of employees they hire, the the cost of equipment and materials. All of those things are analyzed. We also look at what are the technical basis and behind the needs that they're purporting to invest uh, capital funds in. We look at everything. In this instance, one of the big issues early on, there was a question of why are, why is all this information redacted from the petitioners? And some of that was addressed in subsequent filings. Uh, but three months for several billion dollars of change, uh, that's not the same standard that we would apply to our rate cases. And in my personal opinion, and, and I believe the opinion of my peer commissioners, to Provide a level of relief with a less with a lesser standard of review uh, would not have been an appropriate action. Just point blank. So does that mean in a different world with different timelines for making this decision or different information that you would have been more comfortable making a decision to increase uh, the cost for this projects? Well, they, I, I wish I could play Monday morning football on this. Um, the, the fact is. We had the situation in front of us, before us, under the circumstances we had. This is the decision that we made. Uh, and that decision, again, looking at the competitive procurement process, fundamentally, that's what it boils down to. Um, I, I will tell you, I spent many a sleepless night, not just last night, uh, since receiving these petitions, debating what the potential implications could be. Um, and when we boiled it down and looked at all the various factors and, and things that we would need to think through in terms of uh, procurement in the future, um, timeline, uh, knock-on effects, as you mentioned, with the other investments. Uh, what it came down to is the best choice was to make sure that they stuck and stood by the contracts that were signed. Uh, changing the terms and conditions of a pre-established contract uh, with just a few months of review to more than double the price originally bidded, uh, I, I don't. I can. I find it impossible to consider a situation under which that could be the right choice, regardless of the circumstances in the future. Do you think the subsequent bidding process that's been utilized since that first round has put in place a system that ensures that the PSC won't be asked for a similar increase in funds? Because as you mentioned, there was a recognition that costs could go up. And so there was an idea that inflation should be built into those subsequent requests for uh, proposals? Yeah, and as I mentioned earlier, yes, the inflation adder is a standard aspect of the contracts going forward. Um, I don't anticipate future events leading to a need for petitions like what we saw. But again, I I did not anticipate a war in Ukraine. I didn't anticipate a, a pandemic either. Uh, events could unfold that could materially change conditions again in some ways that we can't expect. Um, the future is always very hard to predict, but we've taken actions based on lessons learned uh, to best prepare ourselves for the future. And uh, I'm hopeful those actions will yield the results we seek. If some or all of the developers who asked for additional funds decide to pull their projects, what does that mean for some of the ongoing transmission projects in the work, which are based on the assumption of new renewable power sources coming online in the near future? So 
That's a really good question. And the, the, the way to think about transmission is it enables these projects in many ways. So there's a, a timing disconnect in the development of much of this, right? Uh, we're, we started doing our transmission build out of four plus billion dollars. Um, that's fairly recent uh, when compared to some of the contracts uh, that are subject to the decision uh, from last week. Um, one of the benefits of building out the transmission lines is that it provides developers who want to ultimately site projects a significant degree of certainty, and that certainty helps lower costs. So whatever happens with these projects, these transmission lines ultimately as they get built out are gonna play a role in anything that comes in the future, um, either by making the project more viable or lowering its costs or both. Uh, but we definitely see value in continuing the investments with uh, transmission infrastructure, uh, irrespective of the outcome of uh, the, that uh, the developers choose. In the aftermath of the PSC's directive, Governor Hochul put out a statement saying that she was directing state agencies to undertake an accelerated process to procure renewable energy as affordable and quickly as possible. Given the fact that the NYSERDA solicitations for new projects are, are, are months behind schedule, what does that statement from the governor mean to you? What could it mean? So I'll start at a high level and, and drill down to some specifics. But um, when I look at what we're doing here, writ large, with the clean energy transition, it, it is a transition. Uh, we're doing things differently than we've done in the past, and uh, we're doing them on a fixed timeline in which we have some very specific goals to accomplish. And as with anything new, uh, you learn new things, lessons learned, get incorporated into each subsequent action. And as I mentioned earlier, the inflation adder that is now uh, a part of uh, ongoing and has been a part of uh, NYSERDA's uh, offshore wind and onshore wind and solar procurements for some time now, uh, that is from a lesson learned. Um, and as we refine our processes and learn lessons with each step, uh, that makes each subsequent step better. So from a holistic perspective, we're getting better every year as we move forward with our efforts writ large. But going further, there's a lot of attention and support from the federal government. Um, we have an MOU with uh, a number of states in the Northeast region working together with the Department of Energy and uh, the federal government writ large on finding ways to ease permitting uh, for renewable energy projects and uh, streamline the overall process and, and unlock financing. Um, all of this is going on in conjunction with the ongoing activities uh, that we're doing within the state and the refinements those activities are taking, are taking on. Um, so all of this is happening together, and, and with each subsequent step, we get a little bit better, um, and we can move a little bit faster. So what could a next step look like? Typically, when we do an award, there's a certain uh, quantity that we look to procure. We could buy more. Uh, we could do accelerated awards um, or procurements. Instead of doing one every year, we could do two. Uh, there are a number of ways that this could unfold, but ultimately, New York State remains committed to the goal. And uh, the, the benefit of having all these different options at our disposal means we can do a lot of different things and we're not committed to one path. And again, that's why I feel confident that should these projects uh, withdraw and uh, ultimately decide to rebid in future solicitations, we're well positioned to not only welcome them back in and have them be uh, participants in future solicitations, but other projects as well. And it'll come down to who can provide us the resources we need 
um, at uh, the lowest cost based on a competitive procurement process. Well, finally, one of the critiques, primarily from the business community and the existing fossil fuel companies in New York, of this transition to green energy has been this idea that the state is essentially putting its finger on the scale, picking winners and losers when it comes to putting an emphasis on renewable energy and not necessarily letting the renewable energy transition happen organically, letting the private market be the sole decider of uh, what's going to be built and how it's going to be built and who's going to pay for it. So does this decision from the PSC, which you've articulated in part as being about ensuring a competitiveness when it comes to building renewable energy and not wanting to put increased costs on ratepayers represent a change in direction or a change in emphasis from uh, the state in any way, shape, or form? Not at all. And, and I think those who make the argument um, that uh, renewable energy and energy in general should not receive any subsidies or, or any benefits or that we should not put our fingers to the scale, however you want to frame it. Um, I, I think that ignores roughly 120 years of history. Um, you know, from the very first oil wells in America, the federal government has long provided either tax incentives or state direct state incentives for energy development. Um, and this has long been the case. I forget exactly what the figures are, but I, I, I know some economists out there have put the number somewhere in the trillions, if not uh, several trillions. Uh, but ultimately, those incentives have long been in place. So, And the federal government is, even now, through the IRA, the NJA, and others, providing uh, incentives towards these projects. The, the key thing at play here is not incentives. It's not putting fingers to the scale. It's about a competitive process to identify the best price that we should have consumers pay. That is the key issue. And, you know, the, the question about us putting our fingers to the scale, I, I've heard a number of stories and, and conversations from utility executives uh, throughout the state about the number of EV owners increasing to the point where it's beginning to have them uh, need to make investments in their grid at a faster pace. This is consumer growth. This is consumer trends, people moving with their pocketbooks, buying EVs at rates that we've not seen before. And what I believe was a linear growth years ago is quickly becoming parabolic. And we have to make investments in our system to maintain it so we can handle that increased demand from these new customers coming online. And, uh, you know, you can say that the state is putting its finger to the scale. That's fine. But consumers are moving with their wallets. And what consumers are doing, what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, a lot of individuals are moving forward towards the clean energy future on their own volition, and they are taking advantage of some of the incentives being offered. Uh, but that's not something that's going to revert. If we look at history, um, from wood to coal to oil to natural gas, as a cleaner and better option for energy has become available, there's always been that inflection point where people have moved in mass towards its adoption. And we, as regulators would be lax in our obligation if we did not prepare the system for that reality that is quickly coming. Well, we've been speaking with Rory Christian. He is the chair and CEO of the state's Public Service Commission. Rory, thank you so much for your time and wading into this issue. I really appreciate it. Same. Thank you for the time and the opportunity.
Support for Capital Press Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local state and federal government entities at wgpfoundation.org.